EM Board Bombs. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast, where we try to make board studying a little bit more enjoyable. I'm Iltafat Hussein. I'm joined by Dr. Blake Briggs. For each 10-minute episode that we're going to be doing, you gain a high-yield board knowledge bomb drop. As we like to say, you come for the stems, but uh, you stay for the content, hopefully. So subscribe on iTunes for free updates and episodes, as well as printed handouts on topics uh, can be found on our website, emboardbombs.com. Dr. Briggs, are you ready for this next topic? I'm present and prepared. I like it. Let's start with that fun stem. A 21-year-old college student presents via EMS after collapsing on a sidewalk while running during the midday. It was 110 degrees outside. He was running midday. Yeah, I know. He was running midday because he was excited to try on some new kicks he had purchased on Amazon Prime Day. He keeps mumbling about how he got a, quote, killer deal, end quote. His girlfriend recently got him into doing the paleo diet and all these CrossFit workouts. The paleo. He's begun wearing tight-fitting shirts that say sun's out, guns out. On physical exam, the patient is altered mentally, keeps talking about Jeff Bezos and going to space and (laughs) on private. All right. He's got a blood pressure of 95 over 60. His heart rate is 121. His rectal temperature is 105. Which of the following is true? A, the hallmark of heat stroke is temperature greater than 104. Fahrenheit. B, mortality is 50% in most cases. C, active cooling with ice packs and antipyretics. I love saying the word antipyretics are the most effective therapies. (laughs) You sound really intelligent when you say it. I love asking the residents. Did you, did did they have antipyretics administered prior to arrival? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, you mean Tylenol? (laughs) Did they deprivess? Did they deprivess after the... the, the, (laughs) (laughs) Um, D, absence of sweating is a reliable indicator to distinguish heat stroke from heat exhaustion. E, hypoglycemia is a classic finding. Correct answer is B, mortality is greater than 50% in most cases. Whoa. Right? Whoa. One day you're just doing the paleo and you're just, you know, you're working out outside and then hours later, You've got a chance for fifty percent mortality, right? And there's a temperature probe stuck up your butt. Exactly. Yeah. Just it things things do not go. <laughs> it's all well. about perspective. It's so, all about perspective. But we gotta learn. There are a couple of key things that are gonna save this guy's life, and we gotta know. Totally. Boards. Totally. All right. We got we got two conditions here that are common on EM boards: heat stroke and heat exhaustion. Let's talk about heat stroke first, because that's what this guy has. Heat stroke has a lot of different definitions. And you could go to Google Images, because that's what I did. And there's about 50 images that all have orange backgrounds. And they all mention table, the Venn diagram, comparing the two. Let's avoid all that. You just got to know three words. Heat stroke is going to be hyperthermia plus neurologic dysfunction leading to tissue damage. I think it's a lot better than memorizing a table of symptoms. Hyperthermia, neurologic dysfunction, tissue damage. The particulars of heat stroke, to learn a little bit more here, Hyperthermia is defined as above 
101.3, I believe, but it doesn't really matter. So just because you're 104 versus 102 versus 106, if you have neurologic dysfunction leading to tissue damage, you have heat stroke. So the temperature above 104, the historic cutoff temperature is not necessary to diagnose heat stroke. The other thing that's commonly, at least I learned in medical school, and it may show up in medical school tests, but it's not true in the real world or on boards, is that people can still sweat just like heat exhaustion. There are two subtypes of heat stroke you got to be aware of because these are the patients you're going to get on the test. Classical heat stroke and exertional heat stroke. The classical heat stroke, we think of elderly who are passively in hot places, right? They can't regulate their body temperature as well. Their body, uh, total body water volumes are different. And they're often dehydrated. They also sometimes have the inability to, you know, act on their thirst mechanism. They have a much higher ACTZ, mortality. Right? They're taking ACTZ, yeah. you know, diuretics, that right? Thing. So, that thing. That drug. <laughs> high mortality with these people. They have a high mortality, the highest mortality of uh, our two subtypes of heat stroke. The second subtype is going to be the exertional people I just mentioned. These are the young people who have suns out, guns out t-shirts. And they are athletes or training in the military in a hot place. Um, so they're very mobile, they're active, and, and they're losing, um, they're becoming dehydrated and they're becoming overheated just because of, you know, actual exertion. These people don't have high mortality, but they have high morbidity. They have, you know, complications resulting from their overheating. So that makes sense. Classical subtype of heat stroke is going to be elderly patients and it's passive dehydration and hyperthermia, high mortality. The exertional subtype of heat stroke is going to be young people that are active and they have high morbidity. Does that make sense, Dr. Yeah. Hussain? And, and, you know, they might present this question to you on the boards by giving you an elderly patient. And they might not tell you that the AC is not working, but they'll instead yeah. say the social situation, you know, did not seem well or the power yeah. did not seem to work. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So and that's as the EZM provider, you need to also you know put two and two together. Totally. I mean, that, that is 100 percent true. Uh, moving on. Just a quick thing about heat exhaustion, you know, something that's much less severe. This is much more common, low mortality. These heat exhausted people, um, and I mean, I've, I've had heat exhaustion. I do a lot of running and biking, and I've definitely had symptoms of heat exhaustion. Um, at least I've self-diagnosed myself. I never went to the ER or anything. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like that time I was in med school, and I went for a run. It was literally like as a second-year med student. No, first-year med student. And we had just finished like talking about ACS one day and I literally went for a run. I started having an arm tingling. I'm like, this is it. I'm going to, I'm going to have a, you know, a heart attack and I'm literally going to end up at the public County hospital downtown. So oh, <laughs> I'm going to walk in. They're like, Hey, welcome back, Blake. So <laughs> no anyway, so yeah, I've, I've had heat exhaustion though, dehydration, elevated body temperature. And you have, you know, in this case you could have nausea and vomiting and some fatigue as well. However, the two things, again, that's not the reason it's heat stroke. It's not because of the temperature. And you can definitely have nausea and vomiting. The two main facts here that why heat exhaustion is not heat stroke is that there is no neurological components and there is no tissue damage. So if you measure the laboratory studies, they would just reflect dehydration. That's it. How many board questions love to incorporate weird electrolyte abnormalities with conditions? Yeah, this is a classic uh, board thing to do because you can, you have a great answer selection that you can add here, right? So the answer choices are essentially going to be uh, hyper versus hypoglycemia, hypo versus hyperphosphatemia, you know? So that's, that's the key thing that uh, Blake is trying to talk about here is that's why you do need to know if it's going to be elevated or low. You don't need to know specific numbers necessarily, you know, no, numbers aren't important. Ever. Exactly. I, but it's just high, low. That's the key thing to remember. Yeah. This is the same thing with hypothermia. So you'll, well, I'm sure we'll do a question stem on that in the future. 
uh, preferably around Christmas. But that will be the time just to make it accurate and everything. Um, so what are the labs for hyperthermia? Let's take it back to heat stroke. Hyperglycemia, hyperkalemia, high potassium. And then, of course, everyone knows this one, the high creatinine kinase associated with concern of a major complication of heat stroke, which would be rhabdomyolysis. You know, Dr. Hussain, I actually like to remember this pretty simply is, you know, think about the reason you get these lab abnormalities. We are literally cooking muscle cells. They are literally bursting out and being destroyed. That's why you have the high creatinine kinase. Well, think about obviously when you release cellular components, what's the number one intracellular electrolyte in the body? And of course, it's going to be potassium. So that's why you have high potassium. That potassium is leaking out of these muscle cells along with the creatinine kinase. And then phosphate um, is actually the same reason. You have a high leakage of phosphate. Again, that is taking it a step further of just understanding the concepts. You could just memorize these labs and just get the question right. But I'm the type that likes to just think through it a little bit more and think, okay, that you know, this is the same labs you would see in rhabdomyolysis. You have, you know, lysis of muscle cells and you right, release the all these electrolytes. Right, the myoglobin breaking up, it's getting on the nephrons, you know, again, causing more- It's making a mess. You know, dysfunction, right? The hyper-K. So yeah, yeah it's it, it really hyper-K and, and high CK. I mean, you really should know those. Absolutely. The treatment of these guys is going to be two things, cooling and hydration. The most important thing you got to do for these patients is cooling. The hydration is actually secondary. Um, of course, you're going to do ABCs if this guy needs to be intubated for reasons that I don't think the question's ever going to go there. The point of these heat stroke questions is to catch you on, you know, all the facts about it, the weird particulars, epidemiology, mortality rates. And then another question, another great question that boards like to ask is, hey, what's the best cooling method or how do you cool these people? So you need to do active cooling to less than 40 degrees Celsius. This is always the right answer if it's presented. You know, what do you want to always do? These patients the come? right answer. This is always the right answer. You always should cool these people. There is no absolute contraindications to cooling patients. You should do this in less than 30 minutes as well. Um, so less than 40 degrees Celsius, active cooling, that is more important than loading people with IV fluids. This is much more important. Regarding active cooling methods, this is the <laughs> order of slowest methods to fastest methods in terms of active cooling. The slowest method is going to be, and the least effective really, is going to be evaporative cooling. That's basically a fancy way of saying a spray bottle of cool water and a huge fan and letting them like simulate sweat, basically. This is the least invasive, you know, most safe option to do, but it's the least effective. And therefore, from what I've seen from sources and boards, this is the one we start with. They have a mild hyperthermia. We don't typically rely on this. Strategic ice packing. This is literally what is said in like board websites and like yes. study guides. And this is strategic. the answer to go with. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. It's great. I love. So <laughs> this is where you place strategically placed with tactical precision tactical ice packs precision, I like. in the groin and axilla. So this, this is the one Dr. Hussain's 100% right, as always. You're going to do strategic ice packing. The majority of the time, this is like your middle of the road, not fully invasive thing. The one we're about to talk about, but a little bit less risk factors this is the one we like to use a lot. This is typically the answer on board questions. And then the last option, the most invasive is literally dunking these people in a, in a bucket of ice. So you did like the ACLS or what, whatever, what was that challenge? Not ACLS. <laughs> what was, oh, it was the, um, uh, Luke Gehrig, Lou Gehrig's oh, challenge. Yeah, the one where they like was... were dunking buckets of water, ice, ice buckets, bucket challenge or something. Yeah, like the ice bucket yeah, yeah. challenge. Yeah, this is like that. It's if you don't board yourself, you literally get into the bucket. So yeah. this is somebody that I don't know who has ice, um, ice tubs in their EDs. We don't have ours. 
Um, I usually bring my inflatable uh, child size uh, swimming pool floaties to the ED to, just in case of these situations. Yeah, you just don't but, inflate them right then. You know, you, you no, 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 I save them. They're in my yeah, mains. they're in my med kit bag. Right. And, so and call me. yeah, yeah. I usually have to ask the chargers. You have to give your ID badge to use the Tana pin. Oh, she right. usually has like an inflatable child's pool under that right. desk too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to the stem. So this is the most invasive category: ice water immersion. You literally dunk this person into like like a baptismal font of ice water. Um, you don't do this in the elderly patients. From what I've seen from sources and the way board questions are asking this, you need, you know, it's it's dangerous because what they go into BFib, that's like the worst place to do a code is yes. like underwater. Um, yes. You can't really apply pads or, or shock them. Mm. And then you're, <laughs> and then mm. you're, you're going to do cardiac. You need to do, you know, invasive cardiac monitoring and that sort of thing. So anyway, so it, it's, it, it's much more tricky. So again, Dr. Hussain and I have already emphasized, you know, the answer on this, on board test, if you're picking between these three, the best answer is to go for strategic ice packing with tactical precision, without prejudice, ice packing in the groin and axilla. It like a trailer to a movie. I know. In a world, <laughs> patients get hot. <laughs> All right, what do we have to add to this? What do you think about our synthesis here of everything? No, so again, I think the key thing to remember here is heat stroke, think hyperthermia, neurological dysfunction with tissue damage, correct? I love it. I love it. Right. And then the key lab values to remember hyperglycemia, hyperkalemia, high CK, high phosphatemia. And these folks obviously are going to have rhabdo. That's going to be the obvious one. You know, they're going to be uh, urinating red, but you know, that's going to be too simple of a way to ask this question. Right. They're going to want you to know what the labs are. They're going to want you to know that it's not going to be a spray bottle of cool water and huge fans, evaporative cooling. It's going to be that strategic ice packing, you know, placing totally strategic. So we hope we made enough jokes and uh, silly jokes for you to remember that. Uh, look, there's a, there's a, a reason, reason behind the madness. So hopefully you will not forget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's called to make board study more enjoyable. You come for the stems and you come you stay, for the stay for the content. All right. You want to finish right. up here? So another board bomb deliver. Remember to subscribe on our website, EM Board Bomb. Subscribe on iTunes to our pod. Uh, drop a five-star review. Check out our new content. And when you subscribe, you'll get automatic updates as well. And a lot of the, the questions that we have and handouts are on emboardbombs.com. We hope you enjoyed. See you next time. See ya.